welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 102. My name's Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. But this week I've been playing Rogue Legacy 2, plus also diving into the new season of Halo Infinite. Sony kicked off the Summer Games Fest with their stay of play, plus been checking out some very cool indie games with Citizen Sleeper and Ghost on the Shore. All that, plus I'm looking back at the best games of 2022 so far, so it's a busy show, so let's get to it. Welcome to the show, everyone. I hope you're well and you're having a good week. Well, Summer Games Fest is here, and Sony have kicked off their non-E3 party this week with their state of play. So we had Final Fantasy 16, Resident Evil 4, plus a whole load of PSVR 2 announcements, making this a very spicy way to kick off the summer. Over the next few weeks, we've got Summer Games Fest. That's on Thursday, the 9th of June with Jeff Keighley. Then we've got the Xbox and Bethesda Showcase on the following Sunday. We've got the Future Game Show there somewhere in the middle. Hopefully Nintendo are going to treat us to a Nintendo Direct somewhere. You know, it just wouldn't be a summer game show without them. Well, that is looking to the future, but also I've been looking back at 2022 so far, and I brought together a list of the best games of 2022, and also, if the game of the year was tomorrow, then this is what my top 10 would be. Well, that is all later on in the show, but before we get into it, it'd be great if you could leave a review over on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. You know, it really helps out the podcast to get some more eyes on it. So I do have a link in the podcast description, so if you like the show and you want to leave a review, I'd really, really appreciate it. Plus, I'll read out that review on a future episode of the podcast. Also, if you want to support the show further, check out This Week in Video Games on Patreon, and check out all those Patreon benefits. Okay, that's my intro out of the way, but let's get into what I've been playing this week. Well, this week I've been checking out Rogue Legacy 2, plus I've been diving into the new season of Halo Infinite, so Halo seems to have been having a pretty rough time as of late. So I'm going to bring you all the news and first impressions of their new season. I've also been checking out some narrative games with Citizen Sleeper, and it's been getting some rave reviews, plus another indie gem in the form of Ghost on the Shore. Well, stay tuned for all of that later on in the show, but first up, let's check out my State of Play roundup. Well, Sony kicked off Summer Games Fest this week with their latest state of play, letting us know about the games coming out later on in the year, plus also what's coming in 2023 as well. We had a mix of PlayStation 5, PlayStation Plus, PlayStation VR 2, so today I'm going to round up all of those announcements. We kicked off with an absolute banger, and that was the confirmation that Resident Evil 4 is coming to PlayStation 5 on March the 24th, 2023. PSVR content is also in development, plus the story of Resident Evil 4 looks like it's going to be a little bit different, given we saw some scenes in the trailer that were not in the original game. Well, Capcom said a little bit more on Sony's blog, so they said, This time the game is being developed to achieve state-of-the-art quality for a survival horror suitable for 2023, while preserving the essence of the original game. We aim to make the game feel familiar to fans of the series, whilst also providing a fresh feeling to it. This is being done by reimagining the storyline of the game while keeping the essence of its direction, modernising the graphics and updating the controls to a modern standard. Well, Resident Evil 4 is also coming to PC and Xbox on the same date. Well, there was more Resident Evil to follow with the announcement of Resident Evil Village coming to PlayStation VR 2. It looks like it's going to be plenty of more Lady D, so the Twittersphere erupted accordingly. 
We also had more PSVR 2 trailers, including The Walking Dead Saints and Sinners, and also No Man's Sky. Then Guerrilla Games showed off the first gameplay from Horizon Call of the Mountain, and the combat looked pretty good for a VR game. So there was an announcement as well for an update to Horizon Forbidden West, with New Game Plus, an extra hard mode, Transmog, and other quality of life updates too, and that was a really nice surprise. Sony then said a fan favourite was coming to PC, and all the Bloodborne fans collectively held their breath. Unfortunately for them, it was Spider-Man, and also Miles Morales coming to PC on the 12th of August 2022, and that one was announced by Insomniac. So Sony said they wanted to ramp up their revenue from PC ports, and I've seen something like 300 million going around, and this is definitely the way to do it. The original Spider-Man sold 33 million copies on PlayStation, so I'd imagine the PC crowd lapping up this title, as it really is one of the best superhero games of the last decade. Stray was up next, the game where you play as a cat, and this one is published by Annapurna Interactive. This one is coming out on the 19th of July, so very, very soon, and it's going to be included in PlayStation Plus's higher tiers, which is good news, plus the incentive to get that new package. The Callisto Protocol was up next. This one had very Dead Space energy, and it was as gory as anything I've seen, and it looks like a combination of action, survival, horror, all mixed in together. That one is coming out on the 2nd of December 2022. Roller Dome was up next from Roll7, the creators of Oli Oli World. It looked like a combination of Tony Hawk and Doom, with players on rollerblades and they also have guns. You know, I don't know if this one is a multiplayer game, but there's plenty of slow-mo, so maybe not. It looked like a very stylized game, but also looked pretty fun too. Eternal Nights was up next, and that was very anime. It looked like an action game, third person with characters battling with swords, although the environment looks sci-fi. So a neat little combination there. That one was coming early in 2023. So Capcom was back with their next big reveal, and this one was Street Fighter VI. So we've seen a small teaser trailer for this one featuring a very chunky Ryu. It seems like the pandemic hasn't been very good to our fireball-throwing friend. You know, the big twist here is Street Fighter VI's open-world elements. You know, thankfully, the fighting looked really good. I'm not really too sure about the open-world bit myself, but you never know until you get the game in your hands. So Capcom talked about their new real-time commentary feature on the Sony blog. Capcom said, So we're really happy to announce the new features. going to add all the hype of a competitive match without actually being in one. Enter the real-time commentary feature. So we're working with a well-known FGC fighting game community commentator and other recognisable faces to incorporate their voices directly into the game. Enter a match as, as the fight goes on, their voices will narrate what's happening on the screen, just like a real tournament. In addition to the added excitement, this feature will also provide easy-to-understand explanations about gameplay. This is going to help anyone new to the Street Fighter franchise have a better grasp of the mechanics to use for future battles. The real-time commentary feature will also support subtitles in 13 languages for more accessibility, and the first legendary commentators to join this feature are Vicious and Aru, and we're going to announce the rest of the lineup in the future. Well, I'm definitely excited for this one, having been a huge Street Fighter 2 player on SNES back in the day. And hopefully Street Fighter 6 will surpass Street Fighter 5 in popularity and have a great launch. That one is coming sometime in 2023. Well, Tunic is coming to PlayStation. That one's coming on the 27th of September. Plus, we've got Season A Letter to the Future. That one's coming in autumn 2022. Well, we ended the presentation with Yoshi P coming out saying how the world is a bad place at the moment. But it's okay, as Square are making Final Fantasy 16 and we got a very good look at the latest Final Fantasy, the characters and all the action. So Yoshi P said about the game on the Sony blog, So in previous interviews and updates, we didn't delve too much into the details about the game's systems, 
But hopefully with this preview, you are all able to get a better picture about what the actual gameplay will entail, namely high-octane battles featuring our protagonist, Clive Rosefield, wielding a full arsenal of attacks unique to the game's many icons they are summons, not to mention epic clashes between the icons themselves that put you right in the action. I still can't believe the main protagonist in a Final Fantasy game is called Clive. But anyway, the team under the direction of Hiroshi Takai has entered the final leg of development and is focused on polish as they continue their march towards master and launch. I, for one, would like to personally thank them for all the hard work they've put into the project. And Final Fantasy XVI is coming in summer 2023. Well, that is it for State of Play. No God of War Ragnarok announcement, but I think that might be safe for the Summer Game Fest presentation on the 9th of June, just a few short days away. But let me know what you thought of the State of Play on Patreon, on Twitter. You can catch me on patreon.com forward slash this week in video games or on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast. Well, that is it for now for the Summer Games Fest so far and Sony State of Play. But next up, let's jump into Rogue Legacy 2. Well, Rogue Legacy 2 has arrived and spent a good while in early access. The original Rogue Legacy is really fun, so the sequel had a lot to live up to. I'm really happy to report that Rogue Legacy 2 is a worthy sequel, a decent roguelike among a crowded field, one that benefited from a good period of early access. Rogue Legacy 2 managed to build on what made the first game great, and then adds another layer of incentives for players to keep coming back for more for another run. So you got rewards, upgrades and gold almost bursting out of the screen, and the developers really know where to get you and how to get you because the progression in the game feels so good. It's rewarding, it's fun and memorable, and it's going to have you coming back time and time again. Well, the premise of the game is you're invading the kingdoms of powerful beings called the Estuaries, and you defeat them one after the other. And given this is a roguelike, you're going to probably die a lot. But instead of you coming back for more, it's actually your children sent in to do the dirty work. So randomly generated traits occur in the bloodline of the family, and that gives a nice explanation for the random roguelike mechanics. If some are good traits, are going to help you in battle, some are just funny, or you could just end up farting like a trooper. In the improvement from the original, you're motivated to check out the lesser-known parts of the family tree. For example, sometimes in the gene pool, it can be a little bit spoiled, meaning runs are going to be tough. Someone might be scared of height, or a warrior might not like fighting, or sometimes someone might be blind. These randomly generated traits in your character do have the potential to be fun, although occasionally they can hinder, but with a little twist of fun too. And the game does a good job of rewarding you for taking the lesser able paths of the gene pool, and you might be incentivized with a whole bunch of gold. The objective of the game is to make your way through a procedurally generated map, you know, kill the bad guys, ultimately take down the bosses at the end. There's all kinds of enemies that will try and get in your way, like skeletons, eyeballs, and other nasties as well. There's different environments in the game, like castles, snowy mountains, and you've got dragon's lairs. The idea is to get to the end, beat the boss, and get hold of the precious heirloom. Well, the game does a great job of propelling you forward, so the game doesn't feel like a massive chore from getting from A to B. You've got the heirlooms, they're a major motivation, as they are permanent platforming abilities that allow you to access the new biomes. For example, the double jumps, the mid-air dashes, they're all things we've seen before in similar Metroidvania games, but here they feel really, really good, and it's a real polished experience as well as allowing you to move ahead and getting to the new biomes, you know, going backwards and retreading paths you've already been to, and it's also really, really rewarding. Well, loot is one of the ways that Rogue Legacy 2 keeps you coming back, and the rewards are plentiful. 
as well as the animations, the audio tingling and the endorphins at the same time. Now open up chests and defeat the enemies to get gold, then spend the gold on runs at the manor, which is your hub space home to NPCs, and also the permanent upgrades as well. All of these are designed to make your life much easier when it comes to the runs. You've got loads of upgrades and plenty of options including health, magic and more. Focus gold into upgrades and all of a sudden, you've got more upgrades that are going to appear. You've got new classes to unlock as well. The progression is just done really, really well. We're talking of classes, you've got plenty of options in the game as well. The archer is a good all-rounder with a decent range from the arrows, plus the ability to hide with the canopy, allowing you to block incoming projectiles as well. You can also dip your arrows in poison, making them even more deadly, and you've got the dragon lancer with fire and explosive punches, plus you've got the gunslinger too, which can shoot powerful shots, and they can explode things with their dynamite sticks. Now add everything up, the classes, the progression, the mana and the upgrades, Rogue Legacy 2 does a great job of keeping you engaged and never outstaying its welcome. It's a game that's easy to pick up and play, but you've got real depth in here if you are looking for it. There's rare weapons to find, different weapons and upgrades to collect, which apply different effects to your damage output. You've got magical instruments, and I'm sure loads of secrets that I'm yet to find. There's just something in here for everybody. Then you've got the relics. You know, they cost resolve to equip, which is linked to your equipment weight. So before you go into a run, you have to weigh yourself. The heavier your armor, the less resolve you're going to have to spend on relics. That's going to affect how much HP you have. So you've got the blacksmith armor sets, chainmail sets, magic runes. You know, I could go on, but I think it's just best to jump in and give it a go for yourself. Rogue Legacy 2 sure does have some options, you know, a lot of them, and also many ways to play. Although the game manages to ease you in, it doesn't overwhelm you, and you slowly unfurl a bunch of options to get you in and get you hooked and keep you coming back. So the game clearly has benefited from a long time in early access. You've got the other big hits that have used the process to great effect, namely another roguelike called Hades, and Rogue Legacy 2 has the potential to be a great game if it can find an audience. Hopefully it can, with the release calendar being very sparse at the moment, so I'd love to see this game get some more eyes on it, and hopefully a very dedicated fan base. Well that is it for now for Rogue Legacy 2. Really, really good game. Definitely recommend jumping into that one, and it's on Xbox Game Pass. So no excuses really if you're already subscribed to that service. Well that is it for Rogue Legacy 2, but next up let's jump in to another little indie game, and this one is Citizen Sleeper. Citizen Sleeper is a narrative RPG where you live the life of an escaped worker on a lawless station at the edge of interstellar space. This one is a game inspired by tabletop RPGs where you can explore the station, choose your friends and escape your past, and also change the future. You are what's known as a sleeper, a digital mind inside an artificial body owned by a corporation, and basically they want their body back. It's down to you to build friendships, earn your way and navigate the factions of a strange space station called Erlin's Eye, and Citizen Sleeper will have you on edge, and you're going to have a corporation, so you've got a corporation trying to hunt you down, but also you have the day-to-day -day perils of the other factions too. Citizen Sleeper is all about finding a decent routine. There's a built-in cycle in the game to sleep, eating and working and other pastime activities like feeding your cat. Every morning you wake up and some dice are rolled, and for each die, you can perform an action. The higher the dice roll, the better you're going to do. For example, you can spend a 5 helping out someone on the ship to fix a problem that they have, or you could use a 4 to do an average job of helping someone clean away some garbage. 
Lower numbers are surprisingly useful too. And rather than spend numbers doing jobs and tasks, you can use these in the data cloud where your consciousness can roam free of your body and you can match numbers to perform tasks. For example, match a two to spy on a gang or you can escape the data cloud and spend to roll on working a shift at the local bar. Citizen Sleeper is all about regular everyday stories and lives that the space station is filled with and interesting characters and stories. There's a bar owner who wants to renovate, a shipyard worker trying to get off the station to find a better life for his daughter, and a botanist who's into growing strange fungi. The stories themselves are really interesting, but it is worth befriending as many people as possible as you never know who you're going to get. Some are going to reward you, some are going to leave you, and some will definitely betray you. Stories in the game open up over time and the UI is clean and smart and it gives you all the pointers you need before the next chapter begins. If you've got some time to kill then you can always do a few shifts at the bar, explore the station and try not to go mad. The corporation that created you managed to imply a mechanism whereby you're going to slowly degrade over time. As this condition gets worse, you'll have fewer dice to roll. Together with this slowly decaying feature added by your owners, you'll also have the hunters to look out for. The corporation isn't just waiting for you to die, they're also hunting you down with freelancers looking to knock you out and bring you back to where they think you belong, and they are pretty much impossible to avoid. However you try to avoid them, you know, they're going to get you in the end. But the more you play, the better you'll get at making the most of the systems the games gives you. And you can make money by playing mini-games, and you can use this money to gamble to get rich quick, plus you can set up your own little farms, and maybe even move into a better apartment. For the most part, Citizen Sleeper is a really enjoyable RPG. There's a few odd little bugs here we can access quests before you're supposed to, plus a few typos here and there when it comes to the narrative. But on the whole though, the writing is absolutely excellent, I think some of the best I've seen in 2022. And this is a story about real lives and the people that live them. All these slow build coupled with the freelance hunters that are out to get you and your slow and impending death makes for a really, really compelling story. Citizen Sleeper also has multiple endings based on the choices you make throughout your playthrough. And it's a game full of little stories, full of detail, and it might just have some of the best writing in 2022. Narrative adventures appear to be making a comeback in 2022, and Citizen Sleeper is definitely up there among the best of them. Well, the game was developed by Jump Over the Edge. It was published by Fellow Traveller. It's released for PC, Mac, Nintendo Switch, Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One, and I reviewed this game on PC. And the game was originally released on the 5th of May, 2022. Well, that is it for now for Citizen Sleeper, a really, really good RPG, an excellent narrative game, and also the graphics, absolutely excellent. But next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. Well, number 10, we've got Animal Crossing New Horizons. That is down one place from last week's number 9. And number 9 is Minecraft, down three places from last week's number 6. And number 8, we've got Pokemon Legends Arceus. That is down three places from last week's number 5. And number 7, we've got Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, down three places from last week's number 4. And number 6, we've got FIFA 22, up two places from last week's number 8. And number 5, it's Gran Turismo 7, up five places from last week's number 10. And number four is Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, down one place from last week's number three. And number three is Nintendo Switch Sports, down one place from last week's number two. And number two is Horizon Forbidden West, that is down one place from last week's number one. And we've got a new entry at number one. This is a surprising one. This is Sniper Elite 5. 
Well, congrats to the team behind Sniper Elite 5. That is really, really good, especially going in there fresh at number one. Well, that is it for the all-platform charts, but next up, I'm looking at another narrative adventure game. And this one is an indie gem. This one is Ghost on the Shore. Ghost on the Shore has been on my radar for some time. This one is a first-person narrative adventure game, feeling unique given you can explore the world through the eyes of the main character, Riley. It's a deep story, analysing life and death, plus you've got a decent mystery in there to solve as well. We see the game through the eyes of Riley, who's had an accident aboard a ship. The wind rises up and there's a huge storm, although a voice in Riley's head manages to navigate her safely to the shore. This voice belongs to someone called Josh, and somehow Josh has made it into Riley's head, and Riley makes her way to the picturesque islands, but there's no one to be found by relics and broken down old buildings. Well, Riley and Josh are our two main protagonists here in Ghost on the Shore, but the islands have a wonderful character and depth to them as well. On the face of it, this is a beautiful island that's hiding some terrible secrets, teasing Riley and Josh to learn more and find out about what has happened here. Throughout the game, you as Riley learn more about Josh and also the islands too. Ghost on the Shore had its roots in point-and-click adventure games, although the game is played from the first-person perspective. You know, I found this gave more impact to the game's scarier moments. You know, it's not called Ghost on the Shore for nothing, and I genuinely found the hair standing on the back of my neck at times. Well, the environmental design in the game is excellent. You know, the islands are well-designed, as are the items and the things that you find. There's a hand-drawn quality to the game that makes it feel very personal, and a lot of care and attention has gone into the game. And while the hand-drawn elements of the game look great, the wider environment doesn't always live up to the same level of detail, with the visuals sometimes reminding me of a PS3 or a Wii-era type game with its textures. In the grand scheme of things, this is a small detail given the story and the narrative will take you away, and you most likely won't notice a short time into the game. There are narrative choices to be made in the game, and they really, really have an impact. The conversation takes place between Riley and Josh, and your relationship with Josh determines the outcome, and you're going to get one of four endings in the game. This offers up some replayability to the game, so if you want to go back and experience other endings, then you can, through different narrative choices with Josh. Well, Riley and Josh encounter a ghost on more than one occasion in the game, and a relationship develops between you all as you move forward. But in terms of the gameplay, it's all about exploring the remains of a broken down old building and architecture, gathering info and clues as to what exactly happened here on the island, objects you find are interactive, and you can rotate them to find further clues and text. For example, you can find an item on a shelf, and you can click to rotate it and find an inscription or a note attached to it. And that's going to give you more content. As you work your way through the game, you're going to find more clues through letters, tapes and sketches, and the idea is to put everything together to unravel the mysteries of the island. Ghost on the Shore is a slow burner, but it's one that's going to provide you with a very memorable gaming experience. As you explore and find out more about Josh, I found myself caring about Riley and Josh's relationship more and more. This is down to the skill of the writing, but also the performances by the actors in the game that breathe real life into these characters and really make me care about them and their intentions with each other. Now, overall, Ghost on the Shore is a decent narrative adventure game. It's not too long, plus the world that has been created has a real depth and charm, plus you're going to get hooked into the characters with the wonderful writing. If you're a fan of point-and-click adventures, this is a worthy addition to your collection. Well, the game was developed by Like Charlie. It was published by Application Systems Heidelberg. 
It's released on PC, Linux and Mac, and also I reviewed this one on PC, and thank you to the publishers for providing a review copy of the game. It was originally released on the 24th of February 2022. Well that is it for Ghost on the Shore, I think it's an excellent narrative adventure game, really really like it and definitely one to check out. Well next up, let's have a look at the best games of 2022 so far. In terms of games, 2022 has gotten off to a great start with plenty of top games released. I think it's a good time to check in and have a look at some of the top games of the year so far. I'd really love to hear from you in terms of what are your best games of the year so far as well. Well, first of all, I've got Vampire Survivors. This one is a bullet hell-like shooter and then throws in roguelike mechanics to create a surprising yet very satisfying game, one that's going to bring you back time and time again. Also, really, really good on the Steam Deck. The objective of the game is to survive, and there's an increasing number of enemies coming your way to try and kill you. It does get very, very frantic very, very quickly. Starts out with only a few enemies, but the screen fills up really quick, and soon hundreds of enemies are circling you, trying to eliminate you. Well, the game is played from a top-down perspective, and the map appears to go on and on, so you can choose to run away if you wish. But there's only so far to run before you have to get stuck into the battle. Yeah, Vampire Survivors is currently in early access. It shows a lot of promise early on, if the team gets it right and listens to the feedback from the community, this one could hit the heights of another very successful game from early access called Hades. It's fairly unique in that it blends bullet hell and roguelike mechanics, and the core gameplay loop is very, very fun. Well, next up we've got Sifu. So Sifu is a stylish kung fu action game from Slow Clap. This one reminds me of my Double Dragon days. But instead of a side-scroller, this one is in full 3D, and it's got all the bells and whistles of a next-generation game. It's also really tough, it's got deep fighting mechanics. Well, Sifu is fairly straightforward in terms of a backstory for the game. You know, bad guys have killed your family during a childhood. They've left you for dead. And we then cut to 10 years later. We're about 20 years old and we embark on a journey of revenge by killing a series of bosses. It sounds pretty straightforward, but it's anything but that. And it's also very likely you're going to be going through the levels over and over again. I certainly died a lot. You know, Sifu uses repetition as a tool to teach. So you've been going in there and knowing the levels very, very well. Sifu is a great game that's going to punish, frustrate, and delight in equal measures. I'd say if you're a fan of the fighting game genre or a fan of Kung Fu movies, this one is definitely a game for you. If you don't have much patience, though, or you want to play Sifu casually, then it may not be the game that you're looking for, as making meaningful progress in the game takes time, practice, and mastery. For me, this is one of the best games I've played in 2022, though. I'm looking forward to going back in and finding all the secrets. Well, next up we've got Norco. So Norco is a southern gothic narrative adventure game that immerses the player in the sinking suburbs of the Verdant industrial swamps of a distorted South Louisiana. Your brother Blake has gone missing in the aftermath of your mother's death in hopes of finding him, and you must follow a fugitive security cyborg through the refinery, strip malls, and drainage ditches of suburban New Orleans. Norco probably won't be for everybody. This is a very talky game rather than a dewy game. There's a lot of reading, character building, and development. For me, though, it's a demonstration of some of the best writing in video games in 2022. And as a fan of point-and-click adventure games, I'm really pleased to see a game like this get the headlines and also the column inches, too. Well, next up, we got Kirby and the Forgotten Land. So Kirby and the Forgotten Land is the latest outing for our sephirical pink friend. It's his first outing in 3D. The game is developed by Howl Laboratory, and they've done a wonderful job converting Kirby to the 3D environment 
providing some excellent combat, great platforming, and overall, a very wholesome and fun experience on Nintendo Switch. I'm really happy to say that I haven't been let down by Kirby. This one is a great game worthy of your attention if you own a Nintendo Switch. When we first saw Kirby in the Forgotten Land, we were hoping it would be like Super Mario Odyssey. However, it turns out much more similar to Super Mario 3D World, a game that was successfully re-released on Nintendo Switch in 2021, alongside Bowser's Fury. For example, the levels are contained, as as Kirby you have a bunch of enemies to defeat, platforms to traverse and bosses to battle, and Kirby in the Forgotten Land is a classic Nintendo design. The levels are tight and they're packed full of neat little ideas. There's an overwhelming sense of fun, albeit in a confined space. As a Kirby fan, there's plenty of nostalgia in the Forgotten Land too. Kirby's classic copy abilities are present and perhaps, you know, the best they've ever been. So you can suck in an enemy, take one of their abilities, plus you've got loads of new features as well. You've got mouthful mode having been introduced, which left many Kirby fans' jaws on the floor during the Nintendo Direct earlier in the year with Kirby inhaling a whole car, they're having the ability to drive around just like the object he's holding in his mouth. This mechanic is more than just fun humour though, you solve key puzzles in the game by taking on the abilities of the objects in really, really interesting ways. Well next up we've got a really fun one, this is Nobody Saves the World. This one is an action RPG, feels really similar to the old school top-down Legend of Zelda games from days gone by, and the game's got layers of satisfying progression. So it's a new game from Drinkbox Studios, creators of the Guacamelee series. If you've played the games from Drinkbox, you'll be familiar with their animation and their humour, and Nobody Saves the World has all that, and much, much more. Whereas Guacamelee was their take on the Metroidvania genre, Nobody Saves the World is much more of a top-down action RPG. Once again, they've demonstrated their understanding of tight controls and very satisfying game mechanics. This game dishes out the dopamine hits at a very serious pace, and just when you think it's time to take a break, you are pulled back in. Nobody Saves the World has been a big surprise for me, you know, it's really, really good. It was released earlier in the year as well, so hopefully it won't be forgotten towards the end of the year for those Game of the Year lists. We shouldn't be surprised that Drinkbox comes out with a banger of a title that feels polished, plus it could compete with the best of them in the action RPG genre. Drinkbox has proved once again they understand progression mechanics and understand how to dish out the entertainment. The game looks great, it's smooth, the combat is fun, and the progression is really, really enticing. It's only available on PC and Xbox at the moment, but it's worth seeking out, especially if you're a fan of top-down RPGs. It's an early gem in 2022, and definitely one I'd like to recommend. Well, next up we've got Tunic, and this one is a game that's been talked about for some time, but finally it's been released, and it's well worth the wait. It's an isometric Zelda-like Souls mashup, plenty of exploration, puzzles, and surprisingly, tough boss battles. One of the big inspirations for the game is the Legend of Zelda series, and in those games, you generally start out to acquire a sword very early in the game. Tunic attempts to flip that a little bit by starting out with a stick, but don't worry too much, that sword isn't far away. That leads you into one of the big features of Tunic, and that is the exploration. The game does a great job of nudging you into explore, plus it makes it very worthwhile and rewarding at the same time. When you first start out, you're boxed in via the bushes, and therefore a sword is necessary to cut down the bushes, to find your way out of there. Other elements of the game are a nice blend of Zelda likes and Souls games too. Exploration is similar, then you've got the combat and the Souls of the game. For example, in Elden Ring or Hollow Knight, when you die, you can go back to your body and pick up the runes of the currency. Same is true here in Tunic. The combat feels good, it's similar to Death's Door, one of 2021's best games, and Tunic manages to take the best bits of some of the excellent games like Legend of Zelda, Elden Ring, Death's Door, put it all together, into its own experience, 
Now, the timing of the release is very, very interesting regarding Tunic. There's a lot of parallels between Elden Ring. You know, these games don't hold your hand. They're both combat adventure games, and they're, they're very gamey games. There's not a lot of exploration of what to do, and that is another great thing about Tunic, really. You know, when you boot up the game, you get immediately into the action, hardly any explanation at all. Get up and go. Figure it out for yourself. There's no big tutorial. Just get out there and go on your adventure. Well, next up, we've got an obvious one. It's Elden Ring, and probably one I think is going to take the game of the year in 2022. So in Elden Ring, you start out on the lands between the cave. You pick your class, ranging from a vagabond, a warrior, major samurai, many more. You run through a short tutorial, then step out into the beautiful yet dangerous vast open world. It's a world full of discovery. Unlike other open world games, you aren't explicitly directed anywhere. The lands between are yours to discover for yourself. You know, the scale and the scope of the game amazes me every time I open up the game for a session. So given the lack of direction you're given, it's up to you to make your own quest log and define your own experience. For some players, this has meant keeping notes in an actual notepad, or you can keep a digital note, which I would recommend, given you can search for keywords. Plus, the naming convention at Elden Ring means a few similar-sounding names. There's a good chance that you speak to one character and then forget them as you move on to your next location, as there's no in-game quest log to keep track of all these things. Although there has been patches along the way, and maybe they have patched in something a little bit like that right now. From a discovery point of view, that can be a blessing and a curse. On one hand, it makes the discovery in the game thrilling, as there's surprises around every corner. Well, on the other hand, if you're someone who gets overwhelmed by choice, this system may not gel well with you. One of the most challenging elements I've found with the game isn't the bosses or the enemies, it's maintaining focus on my goal. The world is full of interesting distractions, things to discover, secrets to find, getting teleported to hellish locations, full of semi-invincible enemies with murder on their mind. You know, the sense of wonder and discovery when you find a new area, scour it from head to toe to find chests filled with loot, and more often than not guardians, they're not going to be pleased that you're there. A good example of this is when I made my way over the bridge, you know, south from the starting area, I came across a village with zombie-like creatures. I found a chest guarded by rats. One huge rat went back to the village only to be greeted by the former villagers with fire lasers from their eyes. Elden Ring, really, really good fun. It's really, really good to build your own experience and also build your own adventure. And probably, I think, by the end of the year, this is going to be Game of the Year 2022 for many, many reviewers. Well, next up, I've got Lost Dark, and Lost Dark is a massively multiplayer online action RPG. From a gameplay perspective, the action takes place from an isometric view. You know, you can draw a comparison to Diablo or Path of Exile in terms of what the game looks like. You've got loads of classes, subclasses, NPCs to talk to, combat skills to learn and upgrade, plus you've got trade skills to learn and resources to gather. The sheer depth of Lost Dark is staggering. It's huge and bound to keep you busy for months. You've got loads of content offering the game. We've got the classes, subclasses, continents, and activities, but it isn't all. So given the game has been out since 2018 in South Korea, there's loads more content to come, seasons worth of content we're yet to see, new classes and subclasses that are only available in other regions. Therefore, as well as the current slate of content, we've got loads more to look forward to. All in all, Lost Ark is fantastic. certainly lives up to the massive hype. It's been breaking Steam records left, right, and center with over 4.5 million players worldwide and 1.3 million concurrent players in the first week. Although that was back in February, I would imagine it's grown over time. I have dropped off of Lost Ark over the past few weeks a little bit, but I still recommend going in there. It's really, really good fun. Well, next up, we've got my number one. It's the game I've been playing most this year, and this one is Destiny 2 Witch Queen. So the latest expansion from Bungie, it was released, and it was a big one. It's the Witch Queen. 
you start out at the beginning in the campaign, one of the biggest changes that Bungie implemented for the Witch Queen was the introduction of the Legendary campaign. That increases the difficulty, but not by an insane amount. Over the past few years, Bungie has been ramping up the difficulty of the PvE content with Legend of Master Nightfalls and Lost Sectors and also Grandmaster Nightfalls 2. This is the first time we've seen the treatment for the campaign. You have to say, this is by far the best campaign that Bungie has put together for Destiny 2, and it's better by a country mile compared to the other campaigns. The legendary campaign mixes it up with the difficult but not impossible encounters, plus you've got the number of set pieces throughout the campaign, with returning classic characters from Destiny 1, nods to boss battles from raids gone by, and the whole thing culminates in an entertaining and, and tough boss fight to end with. Then we also get a tantalising peek at what's next for a Destiny 2 story, in one of the most interesting cutscenes we've seen in the franchise history. The story throughout the cutscenes, the character development was fantastic. You know, we got new characters introduced, our perceptions of existing characters thrown into disarray, the story twists and turns and in the end, you really don't know how it's going to pan out until it does. Another major update with the Witch Queen was Void 3.0, and this was a complete overhaul with our Void subclass to move into the same subclass type as Stasis, and we've got now much more freedom to pick and choose the combination from the aspects and the fragments, and thankfully, all of these are available as we start the campaign and gone are the tedious quests to unlock season over season, and I don't even think I've finished all the characters' aspects and fragments from my other characters in Beyond Light for Stasis. I would love to see Bungie go back and retrospectively unlock all these Stasis abilities for us. Void 3.0 and also Solar 3.0, they are both great, and it led me to pick a Warlock from the start of the Witch Queen, and I really haven't been let down. Destiny 2's Witch Queen's been a huge success from my point of view, there's a lot of pressure on the team to deliver. I think Bungie has done a great job. Bungie has put out some great expansions in the past, including the Taken King in 2015, followed by Forsaken in 2018. However, Bungie back then had the help from Activision. This is Bungie doing it on their own. They've managed to create something pretty special. Well, that is it for a rundown of my best games of 2022 so far. And let me know what you think on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash this weekend video games down there in the comments or also on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast. I would love to hear from you and I'll read them out on a podcast in the future. Well, that is it for my best games of 2022 so far. But next up, let's have a look at the new season of Halo Infinite. Well, Halo Infinite has been on a journey, a delayed launch, an early PvP beta release, wild celebrations from Halo fans saying their franchise is back, and then stagnation setting in with long-term fans saying they wanted more from a proposed bare-bones initial release. Well, Season 2 is here, and while it doesn't address everything that fans want, it's certainly a good step on the journey. Well, Halo Infinite did enjoy a decent release initially. Fans went crazy for the early PvP beta, and that euphoria followed into a solid open-world campaign, which was one of the better campaigns of the 343 Halo era. That initial happiness subsided, then a small but vocal portion of the fanbase provided feedback about the lack of co-op campaign, forge mode and also the number of PvP maps, and also the lack of game modes. Season 2 is the start of the road to recovery for Halo Infinite. I don't think it's going to solve everything in one swoop, but we are certainly on the road to recovery. Well, first of all, we've got new maps. So we've got a couple of new maps added to the mix. We've got Catalyst, it's a good for arena-style playlists. It's a tight, symmetrical map that offers plenty of verticality to it as well. The hallways are narrow without feeling too claustrophobic. It's also a great addition to the playlist overall. 
Breaker is the other new map, and this one is much larger than Catalyst. This is a map tailored for Big Team Battle and the new Last Spartan Standing mode. In terms of the environment, this is set outside an industrial facility, and there's sand all over the place. The map is big enough and varied enough to offer many different playstyles. You know, you can sit back and pick people off from range, or get in there up close and personal with other Spartans. You've got a huge laser canal, and here you're going to find some decent weapons, plus you've got other routes to other parts of the map, but be careful of that laser, otherwise you will be dead. On the other part of the map, there's broken down remains of the old ship, that offers up some nice cover if you want to hide in there and shoot. Well, next up, let's have a look at the new mode. So first of all, we've got Last Spartan Standing. That is Halo's first steps into a Battle Royale type game mode. You get six lives overall in the match to play with. That allows you to be a little bit more gung-ho with your attitude towards attack and promotes a slightly riskier play rather than the regular Battle Royale where you only have a single life. The game mode switches things up when it comes to the weapon system. Rather than scavenge for weapons like in other Battle Royale games, there's a weapon rank-up system in which you get better weapons based on your performance in the mode. For example, you earn points for kills and assists, then your loadout options will increase. For 100 points, which equates to a kill or two assists, you'll replace the sidekick with a mangler. Then as you rank up further, you're going to have to replace your oldest weapons with the newest ones, including the assault rifle, commando, bulldog, and then the battle rifle. So one big change offered up by Last Part and Standing is the lack of grenades. We're so used to spawning with our grenades that any change to this formula does feel strange at the start. But you have to go and find them and work for the grenades and in the context of the overall game mode, I really think it works well. When players are killed and are eventually eliminated from the match, the AI will be at their death location and other Spartans can claim them for experience points. You have to be wary for other players though when you're trying to claim an enemy AI, as you usually are wide open for attack yourself, there's a high risk of dying, so you do have to be careful. You've got 12 other players overall in matches, which feels like a decent number, considering the size of the maps. It gives you enough room to breathe and level up, without it feeling too crowded or empty. Now, much like in other Battle Royale games, the audio plays a greater role here, as you're able to hear Spartans sneaking up on you. Well, next we have a returning classic game mode with King of the Hill, albeit with a few twists to the formula. King of the Hill is a well-trodden formula in the Halo universe. You've got a randomly spawning circle location where players have to get to, and then control the hill, fending off any enemies who attempt to take it from you. You've got to maintain control of the hill for a few seconds, and if you successfully do this, then you'll score a point, score three points, and you'll win a match, ultimately being declared King of the Hill, and King of the Hill can be found in the ranked arena, quick play, plus it's got its own playlist too. Then we've got Rumble Pit, which offers up some exclusive free-for-all playlists. This used to be just Slayer matches, but now we've got Fiesta, Vampire Ball, similar to Oddball, and Ninja Slayer. In Ninja Slayer, everyone gets unlimited energy sword and grapple shots, and it is as fun as it sounds. Our rocket repulsors are also here, which is like Odd Brawl free-for-all. Everyone spawns with rockets, grenades, and repulsors. It's tough to maintain grip on the ball, but the game mode is super fun, and also very, very entertaining. Overall, these are some decent changes. I really like King of the Hill and the introduction of the new maps, and the modes is definitely going to help. 343 are going to have to increase their cadence with new things to do, though. Otherwise... The Halo community is going to continue to be frustrated with the perceived lack of content. Forge mode is definitely going to help when that comes around, and it's definitely going to be interesting to see the take-up for the co-op campaign mode. Personally, I'm more interested in PvP when it comes to Halo Infinite these days, and Season 2 marks an important step on the journey for Halo Infinite's recovery, but is it going to be enough for the hungry fans out there? Well, we're just going to have to wait and see. Well, that is it for my first impressions of Halo Infinite Season 2. 
I'd love to hear what you think on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash this week in video games. Let me know on Twitter, or you can hit me up down there in the comments. Well, that is it for Halo Infinite Season 2, but next up, let's look what we've got coming out in the next few weeks. Well, first of all, we've got Spellforce 3 Reforced. That's on PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4 and Xbox One. That is on June the 7th. On June the 8th, we've got Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2, The Sith Lords, that's coming to Nintendo Switch. Then we've got Pro Cycling Manager 2022, that one is on June the 9th. We've got Tour de France 2022, coming to PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X and S, PlayStation 4, Xbox One and PC, also on June the 9th as well. Then we've got Demon Slayer, Kimetsu no Yabi, that's the Hinokami Chronicles, coming to Switch on June the 10th. Also on June the 10th, Mario Strikers Battle League Football. That looks really, really good. Can't wait for that one. Also on the 10th, we've got The Quarry. That's PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and also PC. We've got Redout 2. That's on PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X and S, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. And finally, Starship Troopers, Terran Command. That one is coming on PC, and that one is coming on June the 16th. And don't forget, over the next couple of weeks, we've got all the Summer Game Fest stuff. We've got Jeff Keighley's show next Thursday on the 9th of June. We've got the Future Game Show, and we've got the Xbox and Bethesda Showcase as well. And hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll get a Nintendo Direct. Well, that is it for this week's episode, and thank you so much for watching or listening. If you want to get involved in the show, get in contact through patreon.com forward slash this week in video games, or check out the latest on the website. Send in your questions, your comments, and your video game stories. I am always interested in hearing from you. Well, thank you so much for watching or listening and for more This Week in Video Games content like this. Like, subscribe on YouTube and share with a friend. Or you can follow me on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking it and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, check out the other podcasts in the feed. Well, thanks again. I'll see you soon. 